The message you are listening to is recorded by Campus Outreach for the 2019 Campus Outreach New Year's Conference. More information about Campus Outreach New Year's Conference can be found at conycnd.com. Uh, my name is Kyle Beckrick. I'm on staff with Campus Outreach Indianapolis at the University of Southern Indiana uh, Eagles. I'm from Northwest Indiana, though. So I'm a Bears fan. My dad grew up in Gary. I grew up a little bit south of that in Crown Point. And I love the Bears. I love Northwest Indiana. I love where I'm from. But I did my undergrad at IEPY, just down the street from here. Is there anyone in here from the University of Cincinnati? My wife is going to their grad school right now. So I'm really proud of her. She's going to be a nurse practitioner. She's a lot smarter than me, uh, which is great, but it's okay. So I, uh, I grew up in Northwest Indiana in a non-Christian household. Neither of, neither of my parents were believers. Didn't grow up going to church. Didn't grow up reading the Bible. Didn't really care about Christianity. Thought if I just am a good person, if I have a good life, party, sports, all those things, then I, I would have lived a successful meaningful, purposeful life. And I get to IEPUI my freshman year, my first day. I become friends quickly with a guy who's a senior who I was playing flag football with. He shares the gospel with me. And a few months later, I became a Christian, and my life began to change. Uh, I graduated from IEPUI, married my now wife, Jen, who is here with our two kids. And we moved down to the south part of Indiana, uh, where they talk like they're from Kentucky, no offense if you're from Kentucky, and they like baseball down there. People don't like baseball anywhere, except for in Evansville. Uh, I don't know if that's true or not. But we have two kids, and this talk uh, is entitled Sin, and I, I want to call it Sin for a few reasons, not just fighting sin, or relationship with sin, or war with sin, because I wanted to cover a, a broad area of topics, but I'm sure a lot of you uh, came to this talk with the idea I have this sin, I feel like I'm battling with it all the time, and I, and I want to see victory over it. So I just have two main goals for this time. The first is that we talk about what is sin and its consequences, not just, you know, Romans 6.23, for the wage of sin is death, but also for those of us who say we're believers. What are the consequences of sin on us? And also, what do we do about sin in our life? All of us, on a daily basis, are wrestling with sin. What do we do? feel like you're struggling with it, you're in and out of times where you feel like things are going well, what are some ways that we can see victory over sin? So I don't know about how you grew up or your life, but I grew up in a non-Christian household, so you know, just all the things that you think about with sin now as a believer, you just don't really think about as a non-believer, right? You can think back to that, like, anytime you would I'd fill in the blank of whatever sin, my conscience never bothered me. Does that make sense? So I would live my life as a non-believer, didn't grow up in the church, and whatever I said, whatever I did, there was no conscience uh, attacking me, saying, man, Kyle, you probably shouldn't talk like this, you probably shouldn't act like this. I just wanted to live my life however I wanted to. And tell me if you can relate with this. You become a Christian, I became a Christian when I was 18, and I remember I was in a Taco Bell drive-thru, just down the street. And I was with the guy who was telling me about Jesus, and we memorized our first, my first verse. And it was Ephesians 5.18. I don't know if any of you know what that verse says. But it says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is the body, but it said, be filled with spirit. So I was partying every weekend. This guy's like, hey, I have this verse you should memorize. And then for the first time, I would think about the party that I wanted to go to on the weekend. I just became a believer, and my conscience is bothering me, Right? 
I want to obey God. I kind of want to go party with my friends. I know they want me to come, but I'm really trying to follow Jesus. What do I do? And my conscience is tugging at me for the first time in my life. And I'm just like, whoa, whoa. And I remember this especially because early on my freshman year after I became a Christian, I go to a party, I get drunk, and I, I remember this vividly. I'm sitting in the bathroom, and I'm just like, what am I doing? Like, I, I really believe that Jesus is fulfilling. I know I've only been a Christian for a few months. Why do I keep falling into the same sin over and over? Why do I keep not believing the promises that God has told me? And I think that's just so true for many of us is this idea of sin and putting it to death or fighting it or, or trying to keep away from our sin is really hard. And if you've been a Christian longer than a year, you've probably seen other people who have claimed to be Christians who have said, I don't want Jesus anymore. I just want my sin. Because walking with God and fighting sin is really hard. We've, I mean, I've seen many people right, say sin has tanked their lives or their lives even as believers. So if, if you've been a Christian for longer than a couple of days, I'm sure you can relate with me, right? For probably multiple different things. Maybe for you it's, it's pornography. And you're in here and sexual sin has ruled over your life. And you constantly are telling yourself, this is never going to happen again. I am done with this. I, I really believe Jesus is the best. And then a week later, you're like, why do I keep doing this over and over again? Maybe for you it's some sort of unhealthy relationship where you feel like, man, I know this guy, I know this girl, this is unhealthy, I'm not going back. And then a week later you get a text and it's like, ah, it's going to be different this time. It's going to be different. And then you go back and you're in this cycle of sin. Maybe for you it's something like me with a party or just any, any sort of, I mean, fill in the blank of, uh, you know, like the testimony today, just that prodigal lifestyle of Man, I'm done going to parties. I'm done drinking. And your high school friends call. They're like, man, we're just going to hang out. Just a bonfire. Yeah, it's just one beer. It's not a big deal. And suddenly you're like, I'm doing this again and again and again. Maybe for you, it's, it's your ambition. You have these dreams and goals for your life of where you want to be. And you'll put everything to the side in order to accomplish your goals. Is your walk with God becomes plan B in order for you uh, to become the person you want to be, get the job you want to be, or fill in the blank. And it ends up becoming like a roller coaster. We end up having frequent highs and frequent lows, and we're up and we're down, and we're thinking, is this ever going to even itself out? Or is there ever going to be steadiness in my life as a believer? And so I could spend, you know, 30 minutes and give you guys 50 tools, 50 points on how to fight your sin. But honestly, I'm not sure it would, it would be that helpful because you think about that roller coaster and there's times where you really feel like you're fighting your sin well, right? It's like, you feel like you've lived in the light, people see your life, you're accountable with other people, you're confessing your sin, you're constantly or consistently turning from it for a season of life, you're like, I've gotten over this. I'm finally fixed. And then just a little while later, you feel like you're getting crushed by your sin. You feel like the same thing is happening over and over. You're too ashamed to tell anyone about it. You keep it to yourself and it builds and it builds. So, I just want to cover those two points. What is sin and its consequences? 
and what do we do about it? So, what is sin? Uh, I thought Matt made a really good distinction yesterday between sin and sins. You guys, you guys know, remember this from yesterday? And the distinction that he made was there is sin, and so sin is a part of our nature that we're born with. We're born with a sin nature. And we see this really clearly in Ephesians chapter 2, where Paul says that we were all by nature children of wrath. We were born in our trespasses and sins. And what does that mean? It means all of us grew up with this nature of sin and choosing sin over choosing God solely. So we weren't choosing God at any time in our life until Christ rescues us. So in order for that sin nature to have hope, for that sin nature to have redemption, for that sin nature to be bought, Christ has to redeem you. So you put your faith in Christ. And you see this in Ezekiel 36, 26, where it talks about a new heart coming to a heart of stone with the Holy Spirit. That's when you're able to say, okay, I want to follow Jesus, right? This is kind of what I was talking about in my own life. Uh, before I was a Christian, I only chose sin. And then when I became a Christian, there started to be this balance going on in my conscience. But then there's sins. And sins is, is often what we think about when we think of a topic like this. Pornography, uh, drunkenness, adultery, the Ten Commandments. And we think, and this is it. It's just about my sins. And although that is true to some extent, it's not the whole truth. The, the big issue to tackle is is Christ really Lord over my nature, or over my heart, over my soul? And I think sometimes we as believers get in, <clears throat> into this, uh, this thought process of we can read the bridge diagram for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And we think, okay, that, that promise is just for non-believers. And now sin no longer leads to death because Christ has purchased my sin, and mostly that's true, right? Most of that is true. But the question is, what are the consequences for us as believers who are living in unrepentant sin? I think that's a great question. I don't think we talk about it enough. But First John, through the book of First John, it's John writing a letter to a church. And the main point of this letter is giving <laughs> believers uh, almost like a, a measuring stick to test themselves. On where they're at in their faith. And there's just a couple observations I've, I've made from reading the first chapter of that that I think are really helpful. The first thing that we see as a consequence of sin for us as believers is that it hinders our fellowship with God. So 1 John 1 says, If we say that we have fellowship with Him, God, and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. It's true for us as believers that that happens. And Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. And if you've been wrestling with sin in your life before, unrepentantly, fill in the blank on what sin that is, probably you'd say those are some of your darkest times as a believer. You feel like you're in sin, there's no repentance, there's no confession. And it's not surprising because that's what Jesus promises us in the Sermon on the Mount. And we see that really clear from the Apostle John here. But also he says, I'm writing you this letter that your joy may be full. So the consequence of unrepentant sin is you cannot have fullness of joy. Write this letter so that your joy may be full. And that's what sin does. is more than anything, 
It's a lie, and it robs us of fellowship with God and of joy. And I can just think of so many times in my life as a Christian, however many years that is now, and whether it's big or small, each one of those times has left me without joy. Maybe in the, in the moment I thought, man, this is finally going to pay off. This is great. Like, my greed or my selfishness, and then ultimately, no, it, it leaves me left thinking, why didn't, why didn't I live in obedience to who God is? And I'm, I'm certain that all of you probably felt this way to some extent. Uh, you're feeling the consequences of unrepentant sin. You think, I've been a Christian for this long. Shouldn't I have, shouldn't I have gotten through this by now? I mean, I've felt that way a lot. And so you're probably in this room to, to some extent saying, okay, I have felt that way. I believe those consequences are true. So what do I do? And I think a lot of the time, you know, you may hear something like, you know what you need? You need accountability. If you get an accountability partner, you'll never sin again. All of, all of your struggles in life will go away because this person is sitting across from Starbucks with you, and they're going to bear your burdens. And accountability partners are amazing. We talk about why they're helpful at the end. But we think it's a cure-all. If I can just tell someone these things are going on, that I'm not going to sin anymore. If you think, and if I can just put restrictions on my phone, once I have covenant eyes, I'm never going to sin again. This is, this is perfect. I made an app to keep me from sinning. But if you've been walking with God for longer than a week, you'd realize it's helpful, but it doesn't cure. It doesn't cure anything. And you think, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to write down my convictions. I'm going to write down my convictions and the person who's discipling me or one of my friends or my pastor or whoever, I'm going to show them this list. And they're going to hold me to these convictions. I'm never going to do them again. And it doesn't, it doesn't always work that way, right? Because we, we have lots of tools. We love tools, right? We love things that can help us be more efficient. Great example. I just got AirPods for Christmas. AirPod Pros. And they're amazing. I'm telling you, this is not an Apple talk. But if you just have some loose chains sitting around and want to buy some of these, they'll change your life. They're so efficient. They're so effective. We love things that come in and make our life easier, right? Because all I have to do is I don't have to turn them on. I just put my ears and music starts playing. It's amazing. But we think that applies to our walk with God sometimes. I can just buy this thing or make this quick fix and I'll no longer struggle with X, Y, or Z. And the reality is, is although I think all of those things are helpful, I've advocated for all of those things. I think you should do them. Uh, that's not where I'm going in our last uh, 15 or 20 minutes or so. Uh, so if you have a Bible, go to Hebrews chapter 12. I'm just going to read a little bit here. Okay, let me read this really quick. Therefore, 
since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. So I just want to give three <clears throat> observations from this text that I think will hopefully, more than anything, my, my overall goal is that in the midst of our sin, whether you're, you'd say you're a Christian or not, is that our eyes would become fixated on the cross. That is, that is my greatest goal. If you, if you learn anything from this talk, I hope that you would leave here saying, in the midst of my sin, I want to look towards Jesus on the cross. <clears throat> so three points. The first is to fix your eyes. To fix your eyes. So, in the midst of our sin, we have two choices, really. You can choose to either fixate your eyes on Christ or to fixate your eyes on yourself. Here, here are some characteristics of what happens when you fixate your eyes on yourself. Is in the midst of our sin, you think, the reason why I'm sinning is because I'm, I'm just not good enough. The reason that I'm sinning is because God doesn't the reason that I'm saying is because I'm just not trying hard enough. If, if I was just trying harder, I wouldn't struggle with this anymore. And we're so quick to, in the midst of our problems, in the midst of our sin, whatever it is, just say, how can I just fix myself? How can I just look down and see all of the things I'm doing and try to correct them? Or sometimes what we'll do is instead of fixating our eyes on ourselves, we'll fixate our eyes on others. And then we'll justify our sin and say, Man, this guy's, this guy's been a Christian longer than me, and he's struggling with this sin too, so I, mu I must be okay. Or, you know, it's not as bad as some of the things I know some other Christians are struggling with, or it could be way worse. It could be way worse. So therefore, it's okay that I keep doing this. But what ends up happening with our sin is you just make it all about, how can I just be better? How can I be better? And I'm sure you've done this. I've done this every a lot of times. And almost every time, I think, I'm just going to be better. I'm just going to be a better Christian. And then what happens? I end up failing again or falling into the same sin again or getting upset or frustrated or yelling at my wife again. I just think, just not a second-rate Christian. I wasn't, I wasn't meant for this. But what does the author of Hebrews tell us to do? In the midst of the race, he doesn't say necessarily look at the look at the other people running or make sure your equipment's good. But he says, look at Jesus. It's amazing. He says this in verse two. In the midst of the race, look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. And it's interesting, Hebrews chapter twelve starts off with the word therefore, which means refer back. To the chapter before, and if you know, Mac actually talked about this chapter yesterday, but Hebrews 11 is known as the faith chapter. And so if you scroll through Hebrews 11 in your free time, 
where you're going to see is you're going to see tons of Old Testament character references. Look at Abraham. Look at Isaac. Look at David. And look at how they were faithful. And then ultimately, what are you supposed to look at? Christ. That the whole goal of that Hebrews 11 chapter is to eventually fixate your eyes onto Jesus. So, what are some characteristics of what it looks like to fixate your eyes on Christ? And I think the, the great illustration of this was on my wedding day. You know, it's a bunch of probably many not married people in the room saying, you can only go so far with so many marriage illustrations. I get that. I'm going to do one. Uh, and the, the best picture of it, is just technically I was married at the time, is when your bride is walking down the aisle, right? It's like the most incredible thing ever. I'm going to, I probably should say this, not my notes. I'm not an advocate of the first look. Don't do it. Just wait till the moment where she walks down the aisle. Because it is the best. Because I, I remember it. Sorry if any married people here did the first look. I think you're awesome. Uh, <laughs> but just the moment where the music's playing, you're with your best friends, and then the person who you're committing your life to turns the corner. Like, where do you think my eyes were looking? At my best friends? At my parents? At the guy marrying us? No way. Like, I was looking at my wife. I was so excited for her to get to me. There was nothing else on my mind other than my wife getting to me. In the same way, so often we forget that our eyes need to be fixated in the same way on Christ. And don't get me wrong. I'm not saying this is really easy. Like, this is... Not the easiest thing to do in the midst of problems, hardships, or sin. But the promise given to us in Scripture is we need to fixate our eyes not on ourselves, not on the people around us, but on the founder and perfecter of our faith. And I think two ways you can practically do that. To one, consider. Consider what Christ has done for you. So what does it mean to fixate your eyes? I don't think it's put a Jesus poster on your wall. You can do that. I don't know if it will be super helpful. Uh, but I think when he talks about the word consider, it, it means to think, right? To think about what Jesus has done on your behalf. And we, we do that all the time, right? Like if a friend calls you and needs help, you're often thinking about, how good of a friend is this? You know, if someone calls you at 3 a.m. and they need your help, if this is a really good friend, you're going to think back to all the moments when they were a good friend and then you go help them. That's what it means to consider something. <clears throat> and in the same way, with this, consider what Christ has done for you. I mean, it's beautiful to think about Romans 8.32, when Paul writes, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not along with him graciously give us all things? That God on our behalf gave us Christ, so that we can be reconciled into a relationship with him. So consider Christ's death. Consider all the things that he gave up for us. Consider his resurrection. But consider when he hung on the cross for you. Secondly, is to, to look at Christ on the throne. So not, to, not just to consider what Christ has done for you in the past, but to look at the finish line to where he is now. So in the midst of sin, hardship, what is the victory? The victory is to have fellowship with God. Fellowship with one who is on the right hand of the throne right now. Who will one day, like Matt was saying this morning, who we will enter into an eternal relationship with. Are you fixating your eyes on the end goal? That's the first point. <clears throat> the second, to run with perseverance. 
So if you look back to Hebrews 12, verse, verse 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. I don't know about you, I hate running. I absolutely hate it. I, uh, I was uh, a, a very good small school athlete in Indiana, which doesn't mean much. It, it means that if you don't play, they don't feel the team. Uh, and so one of the three sports I played was track. And I hate running, but I did it because you, know, you, you do stuff like that. And I ran the 800. Has anyone ran the 800 before? It's the worst. I don't, I don't care if you run across country, the 800's hard. So, no, it's not. It's not hard. It's way easier. I run two miles backwards. Way easier than I run a half mile. Hyperbole, guys. Hyperbole. Uh, so, the point though is, like, when you run a half mile, if you've done it before, the whole thing is a sprint, right? You're just booking it. You get around the first turn or the first lap, and you're like, oh my gosh, these guys are running this in like 45 seconds a lap, and I have to try to keep up with them. There's no way I'm going to do it. Uh, and so I graduated from high school, and I no longer stay in peak shape. <laughs> this kid, I'm never in peak shape. Uh, and, I, and I remember there was this moment. There's this moment where, you know, if you look back on your glory days, where you're like, you never lose it, right? You can just go out there and, and just pick it right back up. And so one day I was like, I'm going to running. just going to do it. So I had my, put my, my running shoes on, take out my cool trendy phone that can map my run. Because I see people post it all the time. I'm like, I can do that too. And I mean, I'm not kidding you. I get like two minutes down the road. And I'm like, this wasn't worth it. I should have, I should have just got on a treadmill. Like, and, and then I just thought about all the times where all my friends and runners are like, why? Why do you do this to yourself? This is miserable. <laughs> Running is really hard. And then you read a passage like this, and you're like, the author is saying to run with perseverance. And you can only understand what running with perseverance is, is when you get to the point when you're running and you're like, and for some people it's 20 minutes in, for some people it's a minute in, and you're like, am I going to keep going? <laughs> and, and if you're anything like me, the answer is no. <laughs> but the reason why the author has to say, run your race with perseverance, is because when you look at the Christian life, it really is a run. You're going to start running, and not too far in, you're going to think, do I, do I keep going? Because this is way harder than I was expecting. I wasn't expecting it to be this challenging. Is it, is it really worth it for me to keep going? It's interesting. The, the Greek word that's used here is agon, which in our English language would be agony. And it's so true. That running a race with perseverance is agonizing. So, two quick points here with this. Is you'll either run the race with perseverance... Or you'll give up quickly. So, so what are some characteristics of giving up quickly? Making, creating lies in your head to say, it is not that big of a deal if I do this, right? It's, you're at this fork in the road, someone invites you to a party, or X temptation comes in, and you have the choice, I'm either going to turn from this, something that I've been doing my entire life, 
or I'm going to submit again to the, to the sin. And really quickly, what, what we do is we say, I've done this, I've done this for 18 years, and I'm okay, so if I just do it one more time, it'll be okay. And you just give in. You give in, you say something like, this is going to be the last time. I'm going to, one more time, but then after this, I'm turning a corner. And really what you're doing, you're saying, there's a race that's set before me. I believe that God has mapped this out for my life. He wants me to run with endurance, with perseverance. The, the word perseverance is amazing, right? Because what does perseverance imply? That there's going to be hardship. Like perseverance isn't like, okay, you're just going to walk from here to the door. It means you have to run around the hotel a hundred times. Can you keep going? Can you keep going? What does it look like to run with perseverance? Is your life hard? Are you making hard decisions? I think sometimes the best way to define a Christian life is it's a lifetime <laughs> of making challenging decisions or difficult decisions for Christ. It's a lifetime of challenging decisions for the sake of Christ. Because you're often going to come to forks in the road where you have a choice. I'm either going to fall into sin or I'm going to obey Christ. And perseverance means... I know this decision's hard, but I'm going to choose to follow Christ. I think, I think the word hard is maybe, maybe not the best word to use, because if I am talking about a, giving a talk on sin to a room of 150 people, there's probably some, many of you who are struggling or wrestling with different sin, and none of you are really running the same race. We all have the same goal. We want to get to the finish line. We want to see Christ. But uh, I, I understand that this is really hard. And for a lot of you, there's probably been anxiety or depression or fill in the blank that, it, that it's came with uh, your ongoing battle to fight your sin. And so I want to empathize with you even more than that. I think the beauty of this book of Hebrews is that we see the one who is empathizing with you most in your race is not the guy giving the talk on sin, but it's the one who paid for your sin. And that's the beauty of all of us in the room who are in this race. We're running with perseverance. We're fighting to know Christ. Is he's the one who's looking at you and saying, but I love you. But I love you. Come back. Come back. Turn from your sin. Keep running with perseverance. And the reason that we can do that is because we look at this passage that we read. And it says run with perseverance. Why? Because Christ did when he went to the cross. He went to the cross and suffered on our behalf. And I think... What does it look like to run with perseverance? To continue to get back up. To continue to get back up. Because the reality is you're going to leave this room and honestly, probably not too long after, you're going to get mad at your roommate or you're going to say something you shouldn't have to him or her or whatever. You're going to sin. And the question is, is in the midst of your sin, are you willing to say, I want to turn from this? I want to turn to this and turn to Christ. The Christian life is a life of perseverance. And then finally, <clears throat> to throw off everything that hinders us in the sin that entangles. First one. So many of us, all of us at some point have been entangled with sin. And the author is saying, as a result of looking towards Christ, to running the race with perseverance, then begin to throw off the sin that entangles you and hinders you. 
So what are some characteristics of someone who's entangled with their sin? Frankly, someone who's not living in the light. And probably, I'm not going to get into the number because I'd just be guessing, but the majority of people in this room are probably not fully transparent with at least one person. That this is something I'm really struggling with or unrepentant of, X, Y, or Z, and you're just afraid to confess it. And I can empathize with you because that's happened for probably a decade of my Christian life. Where, I, man, if I really tell this person I'm struggling with this or that I've done this, they're not going to look at me the same. But what ends up happening when we don't confess our sin and we're not honest with ourselves, we end up getting entangled. And can you run a race when you're entangled with something? No, you can't. If you tie up your feet, tie up your arms, and try to run a marathon, you're, you're just going to be crawling on the ground trying to move a few yards. But what the author's saying is you have to remove the sin that's entangled you. You have to turn from it and live in the open. So characteristics of one who's free, entangled versus free, is you want to live your life with a clear conscience. A clear conscience. We see that all throughout the New Testament, this idea of living with a clear conscience, especially with the Holy Spirit. And there's so many sins that can entangle us. Greed, comfort, sexual sin, laziness, approval. Are you willing to live your life in transparency with at least one person say, I'm really struggling with this and I want to take this to Christ. I want to turn from this. I want to run. Can you help point me back to Christ? Just a, a few bits of application for this. How do you entangle yourself from sin? The first is to look to Jesus. More than anything, if your primary goal to be entangled from your sins, I just got to stop. It'll never work. It'll never work because you're putting all the weight on your shoulders to say, I just have to be stronger than sin. And what do we see throughout Scripture? Who is the only one stronger than sin? It's Christ. Look to Him who's the founder and perfecter of our faith. Secondly, to trust and believe in who God is and what He promises. I think Max said this yesterday, but the root of all sin is disbelief. You don't believe in the goodness of God, and you don't believe in the promises on what he tells you is good. You say, I, I think I know better, so I, I do this instead. And each time it leads to death, and each time it leads to consequences. Right? You see that all throughout the Old Testament of the kings, the Jewish people. And thirdly, don't try to run the race alone. So easy to do that, right? Especially in America. Because we think, I can just do this. I don't, I don't need people. We live in an individualistic society, and even a lot of our churches function that way. I just need to do this on my own. And you're just not going to make it very far. You're not going to make it very far. And I, and I don't think the, the running the race alone is a cure-all, but we see throughout scripture that there is a promise to live in the light. Live in the light with who God is and live in the light with other people. And I think this throwing off sin doesn't mean that you're never going to sin again or that you'll never struggle with X, Y, and Z again. But instead, during the race, your goal is the finish line and to get there untangled. So I just want to end with a story and I think hopefully it'll be helpful for you and then we'll close from there. So, 
I go to my first summer project. Uh, I go to my first Orlando project after my freshman year. I became a Christian uh, in the spring, go to OP, or see what we need to call it OP. And I have an amazing summer, right? If you've been to a summer project, uh, you can probably look back to your first one and say, man, I learned the foundations of my faith there. I, I really learned what it looked like to walk with God for the first time at the Orlando Project after my freshman year. But I also was convinced of, I wanted to go back to my campus and find a hundred other Kyle Beckerts who didn't grow up in the church, who at this point had no hope outside of their own ambitions for life that were constantly cutting them short. And I wanted to tell those Kyle Beckerts about Jesus. And my first set of guys, I'm man, I'm convinced I'm going to tell these guys about God, were my friends from high school. So, I go to OP, I come back like a week before school, and they were Purdue students. And I go to their house, I have like this apologetic book in my pocket, and I'm like, I'm ready, man. I'm like, I'm going to tell these guys about Jesus and change the world. And within an hour of being at this party, I am black after. And, and I, I mean, it was, it was probably the hardest day of my life as a Christian. Because my goal was to tell them about Jesus. And instead, I felt like I pointed them away from Christ. And I mean, I go back to IEPY just like, head down, beaten up, like, am I ever, ever going to get over this? And I sit down with a guy named Patrick Lewis. If you're from Columbus, you, you know who that is. Uh, and I'm like, Patrick, man, I just got, I have to tell you about my break. Like, I have to tell you about the time from OP to, since I got back to IEPY. I told him. I'm just sitting there waiting in anticipation. If you know, if you know Patrick Lewis or stoic people in general, they don't give you any facial expression, and he's just like staring at me for probably ten seconds after I finish the story. And he goes, "Kyle, you know you're forgiven, right?" And I'm like, "I don't know. Like, am I forgiven?" And he walked me through promises in Scripture of Christ purchasing my sin on the cross. And I felt like a weight was off my shoulders, right? That Christ for, has forgiven me because I've turned from my sin. I trusted in him. And I really needed someone to remind me that you're forgiven. A few months later, I, I don't do something similar, but I do something dumb. And Patrick sits down with me, stoic face. And he looks at me and goes, Kyle, you need to repent. You need to turn from your sin and turn to Christ. And I think all of us in this room need to hear both of those messages. That you're in this room, you're at New Year's conference, you're coming off a break, for the rest of your life, more willing you're going to want to follow Jesus, make him known, and you're going to fall into sin. And you need to know that in Christ, you're forgiven. That if your faith and trust is in him completely, that you're forgiven. And in light of that, you should all take a deep breath and say, man, the work on the cross was sufficient for my sin. But some of you also need to be reminded to repent. That if you continue to live in unrepentant sin, you're going to cut off your fellowship with God. That your fellowship with God will be hindered as a result of your sin. And that ultimately, more than anything, it's going to rob you and steal you joy.
Honestly, I should have flipped those, so he left on the happier one, the sad one. Because <laughs> uh, now I'm like, okay, in conclusion. Uh, but in all seriousness, we need to be reminded of both. To turn and repent of sin, but also that in Christ, you are forgiven. So, hopefully this gives you enough time to grab some dinner and get back to your room. I'm going to pray. If you have any questions or anything, I'll stay after and I'll, I'll talk to you. Father God, just so thankful. God, for the letter to the Hebrews. God, just so thankful for the promises that we as believers should be looking to the one who ran the race already perfectly, Christ. God, I pray that our hope would be in him in the midst of our sin. God, that he paid the penalty for us. God, that he empathizes with us in our sin. God, that there is hope for us to repent from our sin. God, just pray for all of us. God, with the sin that we're just thinking of right now, God, that we want to turn from and that we want to stop and that we want to be uh, killed in our life. God, I just pray that you would help us to put those sins to death. God, that we would live upright, holy. But God, more than anything, God, that we would want to live in obedience to you for what you've done for us. God, we love you. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Campus Outreach. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without written permission from Campus Outreach. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at conyc.com.